Uh, for the rest of us, would you turn in your Bibles with me to a small book in the New Testament? It's the book of Philemon. Yes, Philemon. Uh, it's the shortest book that the Apostle Paul has written um, in the New Testament canon. Uh, it is probably one of his most personal letters. It was a letter written to one man. Um, but of course, all of these letters that were written to one person uh, were read and circulated to the church that was there. And now we have the privilege uh, 2,000 years later to, uh, to read what Paul wrote to this, to this man. Uh, over the next two weeks, Lord willing, we're going to spend some time looking at the last vital sign of the church, forgiveness. Throughout this um, fall semester, we've been looking at, step by step, a number of vital signs to see a life-breathing, a healthy-type church, a vibrant-type church. And we come to this vital sign, which is radically ne necessary for us as individuals. We need forgiveness, desperately. Uh, there's a world out there that is going through hopelessness and helplessness, and they need to be able to hear that there is forgiveness available for them, uh, for their shame for their guilt, for their fears, that their fears and their guilt and their shame can be covered by one who loves them infinitely, accepts them totally, forgives them completely in Christ. And be able to understand that gospel message of forgiveness personally, but then to understand that gospel message to be able to share it with other people, to share it in our relationships at home, in our marriages, to share it with our children, our children sharing it with one another, in our neighborhood and in this body of believers, that they will know that we are Christians not only by our love, but they will know that we are Christians by our forgiving and merciful grace. Would you read with me here in the book of Philemon, short book, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you and to me, and I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, 
but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, receive him, as you would receive me. And if he has wronged you in any way, or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brothers, I want some benefit from you, Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. As so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning I, um, I pray to you that people will hear the good news of the gospel that the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Lord, I know that there are people that are sitting here hearing my voice this morning that are going through great hurts, great pains. Father, I know that there are some that sit here with hurts and pains from things that have happened decades ago and it's still troubling them today. I know that there's some that are dealing with hurts and pains in their relationship and it was apparent even this morning before they came to service. Maybe there's some in this congregation that are struggling with somebody else in this congregation and resentment or bitterness or separation or ruling. Lord, you want us to reflect you. That's the reason why we're here. I pray that we would reflect the amazing grace of the gospel in our lives. I pray that we would reflect the amazing grace of the gospel in our relationships. I pray that this church would be symbolic for its love and its forgiveness, and its grace. Help us to learn from this person, Philemon, and Onesimus, and Paul, and help us to apply what we learn in our lives for the glory and honor of your Son alone, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want you to consider the topic of forgiveness. Have you ever struggled with forgiveness? Are you here this morning struggling with resentment or bitterness? Is there someone in your life right now who has hurt you so deeply and so profoundly and it seems impossible for you to forgive them? There's some here that are here today that have this embedded, I call it embedded bitterness because they've not taken hold of the meaning of true forgiveness in their lives. I know personally that I have wrestled at times with unforgiveness and hurt that have held on for times. It has been a heavy weight and it's taken a toll. It beats me down and I realize that the only freedom is coming to forgiveness. Some of you struggle here with heavy weights of bitterness and resentment. Some of you have intense anger and hostility towards others. Some of you, very honestly, desire to get even with someone, even hurt them. And that is because you haven't forgiven the hurts that have been done to you. Some of you have festering anger and resentment that intensifies the pain and it sorrows you. 
Unforgiveness destroys lives. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says that unforgiveness and bitterness defile many. That it doesn't just hurt you. It just has an effect that it just pours out like a poison out of your words, out of your life. Romans 12, we saw that passage several weeks ago. It tells us and it actually commands us that we are not to seek revenge, but leave it to the wrath of God. However, there's many of us in this room that probably struggle with unforgiveness. We've allowed unresolved anger to ruminate in your mind and your heart. You struggle with the inability to grieve. Your relationships don't live up to the hopes and dreams that you had wished. And you find yourself sad and disappointed. And when you feel hurt in those relationships, what ends up happening is that because someone has sinned against you, you feel this hurt and this sadness, which is true and normal, but now it has become intensified because you've allowed unforgiveness to rule in your hearts. You've idolized maybe this person or this relationship, and you've put it up higher than God. You thought that this relationship was going to satisfy you, and Christ is the one that satisfies so I ask you this morning, if, you, if you're the type of person that struggles with bitterness, if you're the type of person that struggles with resentment, maybe you despise someone. Maybe you've had obsessive thoughts with revenge. Maybe you just can't get what they've done out of your mind. Maybe you're sarcastic. Maybe you're critical. Maybe you make critical comments to them or critical comments in your own mind and heart. Maybe you talk about this person behind their back. Maybe you struggle with self-righteousness, that I would never do what this person did to me. I wonder if your life is full of conflicts. I wonder if your life has resolved relationships. You know what I found in my counseling? I've been doing it for 25 years. That nearly every single person that walks into my office, the issue of unforgiveness is there somewhere. That whether the person comes in with addictions or adultery or anger or bitterness, or resentment, or depression, or burnout, or discouragement, or divorce, or envy, or fear, or anxiety. The list can go on and on. Loneliness, parenting problems, sexual sins, self-image, suffering, worry, among others. Whatever comes into my office, more often than not, underneath the surface, is unforgiveness. The deeper problem is that I have something that has hurt me, and I'm bound by it, and I can't seem to let it go. The problem with unforgiveness, though, is that what happens is we organize our lives around the pain. We center our lives around the bitterness. We center our lives around how this person has hurt me. And if I allow that bitterness and unforgiveness to rule my life, I will never go far in life. One author put it this way, you will only go as far as you can forgive. One speaker said it this way, you can only go as far as your wounds will allow you to go. See, added to the problem of forgiveness or unforgiveness is that Christians have been taught that we are obligated to forgive everyone, right? We know the principle. We have a hard time putting it into practice. I found in my counseling that there are sometimes people that are completely ignorant of what biblical forgiveness is. They have beliefs that are not drawn out of Scripture. They may have been taught to them, but it's not what God's Word says. We need to figure out what God says about forgiveness. 
There are others of us that know the principles of forgiveness, but we just practically can't just seem to do it. I just don't know how to do it. I know the principle to be able to release this person, but I don't know how to do this with this person. There's others of, of us who don't struggle with ignorance. We don't know, and we don't struggle with an inability to put into practice. We're just ambivalent. I know that I am fearful that if I forgive you, you're just going to get off the hook and you're going to do it to me again. And that ambivalence keeps them bottling up this hurt because you're not going to do this to me. I think that there's some, sad to say, maybe even some here, that in your pride and in your arrogance, I'm not going to offer you forgiveness. I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore. I don't know where you are at. I don't know where you would answer some of these questions that I'm going to leave to you. I cannot stop thinking about how this person has wronged me. I spend most of my time thinking about how I can get back at this person for how they've hurt me. I feel resentful towards this person who wronged me. I avoid this person. I'll even avoid places that will remind me of this person. If I saw this person again, I wouldn't be peaceful. This person and their actions have kept me from enjoying my life. I become depressed when I start to think of this person. I have no compassion in my heart for this person. I actually feel hatred for this person. When somebody treats me badly, I'm going to do the same to them. I tend to hold grudges. I tend to feel bitterness in my relationships. How does this feel? It doesn't feel good. But the reality is, as I sit in my counseling office hour after hour, we put on smiles on Sunday morning, but these are the exact same things that people are struggling with every single day. And there's an answer. It doesn't have to be that way. See, you can come to a place where I could wish good for this person. I could be praying for this person. I could actually love my enemy. I could pray for those who persecute me. I can let go of my anger towards somebody. I could actually see the emotional wounds from my past and come to a place where they're healed. I could actually offer a person compassion. I can care about the person that hurt me. I could feel great love for them. I can act friendly towards them. I could be forgiving towards them. So what's forgiveness? As I read through the little letter of Philemon, you didn't see the word forgiveness in there. The word forgiveness is not listed in the book, but the principle is throughout the book. And as we spend the next couple of weeks talking about this, I would hope and pray that forgiveness moves beyond just the theological concept, beyond a principle that you think you should know and practice, to something that just becomes so apparent in your life, so apparent in your thoughts and in your words and your attitudes and your homes, that forgiveness is the gospel-centered opportunity to show God's grace and his mercy and his love, that you have been forgiven much, and you grant the opportunity to forgive. So let's see how this little letter of Philemon can help us understand what forgiveness is. Well, let me tell you about Philemon, first of all. 
There's a cast of characters in this letter. There are three that are specific. A number of people are listed in the letter, but there are three specific people that we want to focus on in this letter. Philemon. Philemon is a Christian man. In his church, we have a building, thankfully, to be here this morning. But in the New Testament time, the churches were primarily in homes. It really wasn't until, I believe, the third century, Doug, um, I think about the third century when we had church buildings. Prior to that, we were meeting in homes. That's how the church met. So Philemon had his home, and he opened his home for this church building. Now, we don't know if he was the leader of this church. In all likelihood, he probably wasn't. But he was a leader in the church and a God-honoring man. What we also recognize is that Philemon had slaves. Now, I should tell you that slavery is uh, a part of this letter. And there's a whole lot of debate over this letter regarding the issue of slavery. Why did Paul not just come out and say that slavery is wrong? I think the reason is this. When we think of slavery in our time right now, we think back to um, what we had here in the United States and what we've had in other places around this world where people are racially uh, removed and, and it is discriminatory and it's demeaning and devaluing. And that's the type of slavery that, is, um, that we tend to think about. But, and that was in part some of the slavery that was happening in biblical times. But for the most part, the slavery that was happening in biblical times is that I owe you something. I can't pay, so I put myself in your service. I will work off my debt for you. And in all likelihood, that is probably the slavery that's talked about here. So Philemon is this Christian. He's a slave owner. But what we find in this letter, as you saw it, he's a very gracious man. It, it talks about the fact that he is a beloved fellow worker, in verse 1, of Paul. So he is a man that's gracious. He has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw in verse 4 that he has a love for all the saints. He maintained his church home, uh, the church in his home. He loved Christ. He loved his people. He was a beloved friend of Paul. He treated people kindly and graciously. And Paul was confident that Philemon was going to be obedient. Well, there's a second person that we saw in this letter, and his name is Onesimus. Interesting name. We'll talk a little bit about that. His name actually means useful. We'll talk about that. He does, Paul does a little play on words here in a moment. Well, Philemon is a runaway slave. And in all likelihood, he probably owed, um, sorry, Onesimus was the runaway slave. And in all likelihood, he owed Philemon something. He was supposed to work off his debt. And instead of working off his debt, he ran away. On top of that, it would seem to be that he stole from Philemon in order to leave. This church is here in Colossae, and he winds up in Rome. So he probably took something from Philemon in order to cash it in to get a ticket to get from Colossae to Rome. Onesimus is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is there in Philemon's home. Onesimus didn't know the gospel. He ran away. There's a third character cast in here, and it's Paul. Paul calls himself the aged one. He is imprisoned, and he says he's imprisoned for the gospel. Now, Paul had several imprisonments, but this is his first imprisonment in Rome, and he's probably under house arrest. He is, he is able to write letters. Um, he is probably chained to a Roman um, soldier in his home, but he has the freedom of having people come in and out. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon 
because he wants to reconcile. You know what's the funny part of this story? Paul, in all likelihood, led Philemon to the Lord Jesus Christ. That Paul planted this church in Colossae, and Paul had the opportunity to lead Philemon, the owner, to the Lord Jesus Christ years ago. And now after he's been led to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has a church in his home. He becomes a leader in the church. And then by the sovereign grace of God, Onesimus, who's not a believer, who's running away from Philemon, thinking that he's getting away, where does he run? He runs to Rome. And where does he run to? The Apostle Paul. The one that had led his master to the Lord by the providence and sovereign grace of God, he led him right to the footstep of Paul. And Paul had this opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with Onesimus. And Onesimus heard the good news and his eyes were open, his heart was open, and he sought the forgiveness of God. And in seeking the forgiveness of God, and God had granted him this forgiveness, he was infinitely loved, he was totally accepted, he was forever forgiven, vertically. And in the discipleship process, as Paul is working with him about what forgiveness is and how you live to be like Christ, what happened? He came to a place that he recognized that I'm not reconciled horizontally. That vertically, I am reconciled with God. But horizontally, there is someone that I have wronged. I need to go and bake it right. So that's the cast of characters. We have Philemon, we have Onesimus, we have Paul. I want you to understand the character of somebody that tends to forgive. Look with me in verse 4. What Paul is appealing to is the character of Philemon in verses 4 through 7. He says this. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear first of your love and faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ. See, you cannot forgive. You cannot be that gracious person unless you start vertically. Every horizontal relationship problem that you have is first and foremost a vertical problem. Because I have elevated myself above God. I have tended to be your judge, your jury, and your executioner. And I fail to recognize that I've been forgiven much by God. Much by him. Well, Philemon was a man who loved God had a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the second thing that we see about Philemon that's important about the character of one who could forgive. Not only did he have a love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he had a love for other believers. It says he had a love for all the saints. See, we have this tendency to focus on somebody that we get along with, but that's not what it said. Philemon was the type of man who had a love for all. That as diverse as we are and as diverse as people are around this world, we should have a tendency to love all those that are in the body of Christ. There are going to be some people that are different from me. There's some people that I probably line up more closely with in personality or in relationship. There are probably others that I don't line up with as closely in personality. But the issue is this. It doesn't matter whether there's diversity. That in Christ there should be unity. And in that diversity there should be unity brought back for the fact that I love you all. Well, Philemon was the type of man who had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the type of man who would have love for all the saints. He was the type of man also that fellowshiped with other believers. Verse 6 says this, and I pray that you're sharing. You remember a couple of weeks ago we had an opportunity to talk about fellowship, and we talked about the fact that fellowship means to share. 
your sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in Christ Jesus. See, he had a faith in God. He had a love horizontally for others. And then that came out in the fact that he just shared himself with others. He shared his home. He shared his life with other believers. And as he did that, he grew in a greater knowledge of the gospel and his gospel message came more and more out of his life. There's the last thing that I see about Philemon in this section of verses four through seven. He blessed other people. It says in verse seven, for I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the hearts of the saints have been what? Refreshed because of you. That he blessed other people. He was just the type of person that you could see that was a blessing. He knew he was blessed and he wanted to be a blessing in his life. Now, Paul, knowing the character of this man, knowing that this is a man who is a faith in Christ and love for others and a fellowship of believers and a blessing, he knew that that was the character that was going to produce the possibility for forgiveness. Look with you in verse 8. Paul first asked Paul um, Philemon to reinstate Onesimus. He says in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son or my child Onesimus. Let me stop there for a moment. Paul is using the word child here to talk about the spiritual childhood, that he has brought Onesimus to faith by the work of the Holy Spirit through Paul. Paul was the instrument by which God was going to speak the gospel message to Onesimus, and Onesimus was going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep going. For my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, formerly he was useless to you. Remember I talked about his name meant useful? And what Paul is doing is a play on words here in the Greek. He, he says that your, your name was useful. You became useless to your owner, and now you can become useful once again. Have you ever found yourself that way? Feeling useless in life and that I can't do anything right, and then all of a sudden God does something radically in your life to change you. He keeps going. Formerly he was useless to you, but now indeed he's become useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending him in my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might be not by compulsion, but by your own accord. For perhaps this is the reason why he was parted for you from a while, that you may have him back for good, no longer a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you, both in the flesh and in the prison. See, I think the first thing that Paul is appealing to Onesimus to do in order to show forgiveness is to reinstate him. That kind of like the prodigal son left home and is now coming back, this prodigal son wanted to come back home just to even be a, a hired hand in his dad's home. What Paul is saying is, I want you to bring Onesimus back into your home, back into fellowship once again. And now I want you to bring him back into fellowship, not primarily as your bondservant, but I want you to see that he is now a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to reinstate him. All of us have fallen away from God. All of us need desperately to be reinstated to a place of 
hope and healing in our relationship with God. But that's the first thing that Paul is urging. I want you to reinstate him. The second thing he wants you to do is I want you to receive him. I want you to receive him. He says in verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, receive him as you receive me. See, forgiveness is not just that I reinstate you back into my life and bring you back into my life. The second element of forgiveness is the fact that I need to receive you. And what Paul is saying that I want you to receive him as you would receive me, your spiritual father. But there's a third element to forgiveness that is talked about here. It's not only that we reinstate the person or we receive him, but in verse 18 and 19, restitution will be provided for him. So if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay to say nothing of the fact you owe me yourself. So as I said, in all likelihood, Onesimus owed Philemon a debt and was supposed to work off that debt. He didn't do it. So by running away, he did not fulfill his debt. On top of that, it is likely that Onesimus stole from Philemon in order to pay for his passage from Colossae to Rome. So not only did he steal by not fulfilling the debt, he stole by taking from Onesimus. And then on top of that, I'm taking from Philemon. And then on top of that, Philemon would have to go out and find somebody to fulfill the work that Onesimus was doing. And what Paul says is this, in order to offer forgiveness to you, and so that you can offer forgiveness to Onesimus, if there's any debt, here's my checkbook. Charge me. Do you hear the gospel? See, there's only one God. That God is the maker of heaven and earth. He created a world to reflect his glory. He made every single one of us in his image, male and female. You have dignity, you have worth, you have value. He made you to worship him and him alone. But what we did was we disobeyed him. We thought that we could find satisfaction outside of a relationship with him. And what do we do? We rebelled from him. We were separated from him. And we live foolishly thinking that anything outside of God is going to bring us complete satisfaction. Every man, woman, and child that has ever been born since then has been born on a curse of sin. Separation from God. God sent prophets to tell you about the law. God allowed people to go off into their own rebellion in the Old Testament. God allowed them to go into their rebellion and they suffered the man's consequences. But throughout the Old Testament, there was this thread, this grand drama, that every prophet of the Old Testament was looking forward to the true prophet. Every priest of the Old Testament was looking forward to the true priest. Every king of the Old Testament was looking to the true king. See, we come to a time of the season where we look to one Emmanuel, God with us, who has come here for you. See, he lived every day from the womb to the grave, perfectly righteous for you. He took your debt upon himself. Here's his bank account. 
God, the offended one, had the right to avenge, and he did. He took his wrath for your sin, and he placed it on Christ. That Christ hung on a bloody cross 2,000 years ago and took all of the sin debt for every single person who would ever believe upon him and bore it for you and for me. He died. He went into a grave because you had a debt that needed to be paid. He died for you. And when he went into that grave, he was dead. But to prove that he is the true one, he was risen from the grave. No longer to have death ever conquer you ever again. And that if in Christ you trust in him, there's an amazing righteousness that you have. That not only are your debts paid, but you are viewed as righteous in his sight. You're brought back into a reinstated relationship with him. You were received as Christ would be received and the restitution that you needed to pay, he paid for you. It's amazing grace of the gospel. And what Paul is reminding Philemon is this. That's the amazing gospel that brought you to life and that's the amazing gospel I want you to show to your husband or to your wife or to your children or to your grandchildren or to your friend or to your neighbor. See, this message Philemon needs to hear is a message of hope for every runaway that's in this room, for every fugitive, for every person that is a fleer, for every person that is lost, it's a message of hope. It's a message of hope for you if you are shamed or if you're humiliated, if you're disgraced or if you're feeling so burdened with guilt. It's a message of hope. It's a message of hope for every single person who is helpless and hopeless, every single person who is feeble. It is a message of hope. It's a message of hope for those who are despondent and discouraged, for those who are captive and trapped, that God substituted himself for you. He took your sin upon himself, and he's granted you the grace and forgiveness and the righteousness that he earned for you and for me. Marie was, um, in her testimony earlier, talked about the ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. That came out of um, 2 Corinthians 5, and it's one of my favorite passages. It says, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we're all ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, for God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for you, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Can you imagine what it would be to be infinitely loved, totally accepted, forever forgiven? So how do we bring this home today? Forgiveness is needed so desperately today. Forgiveness basically means to release, means to let go. See, if, in your, if you're in Christ... Your debt has been canceled. It has been released. See, in the court of God's counsel, he has completely judiciously forgiven you. You will never have to pay for your sins any longer if you're in Christ. He has pardoned your sins. He has completely removed your guilt. He's removed it so far from you that there is no longer any isolation. You are brought into closeness. As we saw the character of Philemon, the character of God is to forgive you. There's not a sin that God cannot forgive except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
God forgives iniquities. God forgives transgressions. God forgives sins. Romans 5 says that God even forgives us even when we were still his enemies, which is amazing. God's forgiveness is out of his abundant mercy, his amazing grace. It's not because you've done anything to deserve it. And when God forgives, he forgives you utterly and completely. Psalm 103 tells us that. God forgives you and you were changed. God forgives you and you were cleansed. God forgives you and he no longer holds a charge against you. When God forgives you, he forgives you absolutely. When God forgives you, it costs you nothing. But it cost the very Son of God his life. Forgiveness doesn't release the offender from his consequences. We'll talk about that next week. But what forgiveness does is it releases you and it releases the opportunity for God to flow through you. You know, most people live their lives today at a deficit, they think that they're in need. They think that they're in need, they have this shortfall in this life, an insufficiency, some lack, and that they need somebody else to meet that need. They desperately want something, they can't have it, and they crave for it. What happens if we were to live our lives at a surplus? What happens if we were to see our lives as already complete? I have everything that I need, I'm amply supplied, my cup runneth over, I have plenty to spare. See, the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. I am redeemed. I'm reconciled. I'm restored. But scripture tells me that uh, when I do not show that in my life, I'm sinning. If you're struggling with unforgiveness this morning, it's a sin. If you're struggling with unforgiveness this morning, it is showing that you are ungrateful to God for what he's done for you. And you've missed the gospel. And if you are struggling with unforgiveness this morning, one of the scariest passages is that it may prove that you're not forgiven by God, that you're not in his grace. You ever wonder why it is that your relationships lack peace and unity? You ever wonder why your relationships lack harmony? Because sin disintegrates. Sin divides. Sin isolates. Sin discourages. Sin crushes spirits. We have a tendency to protect, protect and promote ourselves and then punish others when we don't do what we want. They don't do what we want. But the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. So as Paul urged Philemon to reconsider forgiving Onesimus, he asked him these questions. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself. Is the gospel ruling your life today? Do you recognize that it is literally impossible for another person to sin against you as much as you sin against God? And if that you're in Christ, all of that sin has been forgiven. Is the gospel ruling your life? Is the gospel ruling your thoughts? The thoughts that you have about your spouse or your children or your friend or your family member. Is the gospel ruling your thoughts? Is the gospel ruling the way you speak to one another? You speak compassionately and lovingly and graciously to one another. 
Is the gospel ruling your actions? Is it ruling your home? Is it reigning in your work relationships? Is it reigning in your neighborhoods? Is it reigning in your church? The song, as I said earlier, goes, they will know we are Christians by our love. I think it would be better retitled that they will know we are Christians by our forgiving love. Freedom. I long for the day when I can say, freedom. Jesus came my way. What a happy day. Walking in darkness to the light. He set me free. He gave me the right to say he. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Onesimus may have gone back to work as a hired hand in Philemon's home. He may have. He may not have been set free from that. But you know what he was set free from? Hell. Sin. Death. Because the gospel changes everything. This morning I asked you, are you an Onesimus who's running? You know you've done wrong and you have guilt that is weighing heavily upon you. And you think that running away is going to solve it? It won't. By the sovereign grace of God, hopefully he's ran you into this congregation this morning. And maybe this morning is the day that is the day of salvation. Maybe there are some Philemons in this room this morning who have been offended by somebody, hurt brutally. Maybe you were hurt brutally even this morning. The gospel changes everything. Remember that person cannot sin against you as much as you've sinned against God and you've been forgiven all. Forgive. Maybe you're a Paul in this room where you've been called to mediate between two people and to bring them together. Remember the gospel changed your life. And remember, the gospel changes everything. Father, I, I pray this morning that you would remind us of the amazing grace of God in Christ. Father Onesimus was a man who externally and internally loved your son. He loved other believers. He was a sharer. He shared his home. He shared so many things with other saints. He knew the gospel. Father, he desperately needed to live out the gospel. Father, I know that there are Onesimuses here. People that are running away. People that feel so burdened by their shame, their fear, their guilt. They need to hear the wonderful news that they can be completely loved, totally accepted, forever forgiven for everything that they've ever done, not because they've earned it, but because Christ has earned it for them. Father, as the psalm says, um, our cup runneth over. Thank you so much for the grace that you've poured into our lives and continue to pour through our lives. I pray that this church would reflect the good news of your gospel of grace to reflect your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.